Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Susanna Constantine, and this is my wardrobe malfunction, the podcast where I talk to some very special guests about the items they wear. We start off with clothes, but end up discussing so much more. And every episode, I always find out their comfort blanket, their birthday suit, and of course, their most excruciating wardrobe malfunction. Welcome to season six. We've got some wonderful guests lined up for you. If you're new to the party, we also have 40 previous episodes to keep you fully entertained. Yes, 40. I've spoken to Elizabeth Hurley about that dress, Nile Rogers about his dog chains, and Dame Zandra Rhodes about her magical shawl. And there are many more fabulous stories to discover. Later this episode, we'll be catching up with the dynamic duo guitarists, Will and Ben. But let's get on to today's guest. She is an iconic British-American actress, winner of two Golden Globes, an Emmy, and even has her own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It's one of my very first girl crushes, Jane Seymour. So let's grab the handles, open my wardrobe doors, and find out what's inside. Hello, everybody. Well, I can't quite believe that um, I have today's guest in front of me because she's someone who I actually weirdly... I, I've had a girl crush on you. Like when I was when I was young and I was at school, I had a poster of you on my wall. It was you and Elton John, two side by side. And that person who I'm talking about is Jane Seymour, the iconic British American actress, Emmy Award winner, Golden Globe winner. And here you are. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much. This is fun and. Uh, of course, I'm talking to you from Malibu, where it's probably 75 to 80 degrees. Uh, is it really that warm? It's stunning. It, it looks oh. like a summer's day. Hmm. How wonderful. And, and, and how are you feeling? Because you've just been watching the inauguration of President Biden. I am, I am just so grateful that, that somebody now is leading the country that is talking about unity. It's talking about you know, parties coming together to make a difference, realizing we have global issues in which we need unity. And that's all I want is unity. Mm. I, I am not a, a political creature, but I am a very, um, you know, I, 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 I like to believe in the indomitable um, power of humanity and of Ultimately, human beings realize that we're on this tiny planet and we've got to work together. So um, it was nice to hear those words, but like everything, I like to see the actions. Yeah, well, you know, it's always, it's so easy to say the words, isn't it? And then, you know, but we'll see. But I think he's, I, I have to say, I got quite emotional watching him. He, he just seems like a very genuine person with humility and a graciousness and he means what he says. I've never met him, but I have been invited to the White House on, on numerous occasions um, with various presidents who I have had the privilege to know from both sides. I've, I've actually met both, both Bushes, um, Carter, um, Clinton, um, I'm trying to remember who else, but um, never met Obama, actually. But, uh, you know, it, it, it really is, it's quite extraordinary, um, what it represents, because the United States of America is a very young country. Mm, mm. But how, how have the last four years been for you? Because, I mean, particularly as a British American, um, but also as someone with an immigrant background, family background, which I had no idea about. I always took you as an English rose. 
Oh, no, there's nothing really English or rosy about me. <laughs> um, hence, you know, the, I got those lovely high, high cheekbones. I, I got those from sort of the border of Russia and Poland, along with um, uh, some smattering of um, knowledge of, uh, of my Jewish roots, which I've only come to you know, learn more about recently and which I'm very proud. But I have never been practicing any religion mm. and, and certainly not Judaism. Um, although I played in War and Remembrance and, you know, mm. was able to really, I felt very empowered by that. And my mother's from Holland and uh, she comes from a very long line of, of Dutch people that never moved out of Holland. I mean, I've got, when you look at my genealogy, I mean, I've got stuff, birth dates and marriage dates going back to 1400 in Holland. Um, really? Yes. Yeah, so my mother lived in Holland, got married when she was very young, 20, moved to Indonesia, married a gentleman who was half Indonesian lived on a tea plantation, marriage broke up, and immediately she was incarcerated for three and a half years in an, an internment camp, a Japanese internment camp during World War II. And then my father, um, his father had escaped from the pogroms when he was 14 years old and ended up in the East End of London. My father actually was a real East Ender. He was born within the sound of bow bells. Um, so as a child, I would be taken around the East End and, you know, and, and taught everything about the city of London and, you know, the unbelievable culture that there was there. And uh, my father became a doctor and his youngest brother became a very famous um, professor of social anthropology, Professor Ronald Frankenberg at Keele University. And... Um, but my, my grandfather, who came with nothing, couldn't even speak English, ended up having a, a wholesale company in Houndsditch. So, so I grew up with uh, chopped chicken liver and um, uh, occasional smoked salmon and, um, and chicken noodle soup and nasi goreng, bami goreng, and uh, everything covered in very hot spices and, uh, you know, the, the Dutch, the Indonesian Dutch thing. So I'm so not English. So do you think, I mean, with such a, a, a melting pot background, but also it seems like your family were real, um, they were pioneers in terms of having the, the courage to make huge changes in their lives. Do you think that's where you got it from? Because you went to America. How old were you when you went to America? You moved to the States. I moved uh, permanently in 76, but I came out a couple of years before that. Um, but, you know, I was told um, when I was an actress in England, I was told I would, I would get kind of to the, uh, you know, the, the last choice between me and one other person. Mm. And the two things that were counted against me, one was that I looked too exotic. So I could only play exotics, which is why I played solitaire and Persian princess in um, Sinbad and things like that. They said, and they said, I did not look or sound like the, you know, the girl next door. Um, so that was it, you know, and, and then, you know, if they found out I'd been a Bond girl, that was sometimes, you know, a count against, you know, mm. being taken seriously, which was kind of crazy. Mm. So you were like really young. Oh, no, How actually I went to America to do the James Bond film. So no, I went oh, to yeah. America to New Orleans, um, when I was 20 or 21 and I was mugged actually. I was mugged oh at four o'clock in the afternoon on Bourbon Street. So that was my first... Um, in Welcome to America. Oh. Yeah. And uh, then when I tried to go to Jamaica, they stopped me in Atlanta and told me I didn't have the right visa for America, for, for, you know, for transit. But I did have a visa that would allow me to go out and work. So I, mm. I stupidly said, that's stupid and almost got arrested. But, you know, actually I did. Did you? Did you? Well, they pulled me to a special room and interrogated me, and and I remember in tears saying, "If you, if you, if you like James Bond, you better let me get on that airplane." I said, what, 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 "What do you mean, James Bond?" I said, "I'm in a James Bond film, and if you don't let me on that airplane, there won't be a movie." And then they said, "Okay, well, just this once, but don't ah. do it again." I went, "Okay," and of course, I had all the costumes in a lot of the costumes in my in my baggage because they'd asked me to bring the costumes out. So there would have, oh. it would have been a problem. That's not the really? answer you really wanted, but I came to America and I stayed in 1976. And the minute, you know, I came and moved to America, then immediately after that, I started being offered all these major roles in England, but mm. by American companies. So I worked in England a lot after I moved to America. Does that make any sense? Yeah, totally. And do you feel, um, because you've lived in America for a long time, do you feel more American or English 
I mean, obviously you sound incredibly English still, or are you just universal? I feel um, I'm very English, obviously. Um, But actually I feel very universal, actually, I I suppose, because I grew up with my mother being a foreigner, I suppose, Dutch. And and I've been in America longer now than I have in England. So, and I, but I go back to England all the time. I go back and I work there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and my family's there. So um, I, I sometimes call myself an Ameribrit. An Ameribrit. Let's stick with that. <laughs> I mean, when you started out, you, your name was changed, wasn't it? Because you were born Joyce. Is it Joyce Penelope Wilhelmina? Yes. I know. And I, I used to say to my parents, you know, what's with the name? Well, Joyce, because my father's mentor was a female gynecologist from Wales, uh, Joyce Morgan, and she mm-hmm. was his mentor. So that's why I was called Joyce. Uh, Penelope, my mother said, is pronounced in Dutch, Penelope. I said, that's really not helping. Um, Wilhelmina was always shortened to uh, Wilma. Well, the Flintstones were out, Wilma. so that wasn't helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, at, at school, you can imagine I was called Frankenstein, Frankfurter, Frankenberger. Uh, but actually, my great-grandmother had married twice, once to Mr. Frankenstein and then to Mr. Frankenberg. So I have all these relatives <laughs> who are actually called Frankenstein that changed their names to Frank. So um, a million, and I, my agent just said, no, you can't have, you know, a name that is German and you're not German. Um, mm. Too difficult to remember, too difficult to spell. Um, so it's got to be changed. And those were in the days when everyone changed their names. I mean, they would never mm. have dreamt of having it Meryl Streep or Renee Zellweger. I mean, mm. and if you were a ballerina, which I was at the time, or trying to be, um, you usually took on a Russian name. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's what you wanted to do originally, wasn't it? You wanted to be yeah. a, a ballerina. And how did your family feel about that, having sort of basically followed an academic route? Your family, how did they feel about you going on point? <laughs> well, um, I had flat feet when I was um, born and young. And first, you know, primary school, um, they put me to one side and said she has to do, um, you know, ballet or dance, something to mend these flat feet. So I was always walking on the outside of my feet and doing all these exercises. And my parents sort of scraped a little bit of money together that they had and put me in ballet school. And then I just started winning all kinds of awards and loving it. And that was my obsession. And I apparently was knocking everything over in the, in the kitchen, dancing all the time. And so um, I ended up getting a scholarship to the arts educational school and um, not in Tring, as it says in, in my biography. I never went to Tring. Mm. I went to the London School. And, um, and I wanted to be a ballerina. I mean, which is crazy because I, I was built all wrong. You know, the Royal Ballet, quite rightly, turned me down. I thought it was because my, my parents were overweight. But no, it was because my back was too long. My legs didn't naturally turn out. They had no natural, you know, extension. And I still had those flat feet. But no, I, I managed to dance with a cure off at Covent Garden. I danced... Um, in two ballets, um, in the chorus, of course, um, on point. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so there we go. So that's what I wanted to do. At that time, you were quite broke. And so you were making your own clothes. Is that right? You were kind of, you know, to pay for your shoes, your ballet shoes, which were bloody expensive. You were making your own clothes and selling them in um, Kensington Market. And at Brown's, for goodness sake. I know. I mean, it, it, so this is actually something that I'm incredibly proud of because I remember um, when I was growing up and my sisters, of course, we all know how to sew and knit and crochet and everything because Mm. of it. Mm. Um, My mother had one of those, you know, singer sewing machine things. We also learned how to embroider um, and uh, and knit and crochet and I needed money and we didn't have money, uh, certainly not for um, point shoes. And I was going through them maybe a pair a week. So, um, the only way I could make money was by making something and selling it. So I made some um, really, in retrospect, rather hideous um, red, white, <laughs> and blue <laughs> nylon wool that I got on sale somewhere at Dickinson Jones or something. I crocheted them into into all kinds of things. And um, and I took my crochet things to Kensington Market to this lovely Indian gentleman who said, okay, I'll sell them how much? Well, you know, I knew how to make them. I didn't know how to ask for how much money I should get. And um, so I tried to be a bit bold. I don't think I made much of a profit, but I did, you know, then rush out with the money, that you know, the stuff I'd sold, get some more wool, and I was doing it all myself. And then um, 
everyone was burning their bras. It was sort of female independence. And I was still very virginal and uh, I was not ready to show any nipples. So I, um, but I wanted to be hip and cool and, and whatever. So I had a, for some reason, a, a see-through blouse and I embroidered a blue tit and a great tit. Um, very realistically on the offending places, on twigs, eating berries. And, um, and they somehow got into a, a newspaper or something. And, uh, I, no, and then, and then somebody said to me, oh, um, you should take these to, to, to a store because you like, like Browns. Well, Browns at that time was one single store. And, mm. um, the man who owned Browns, we you know, sat there at the front and I came in, I met him and his wife and they looked at these things. And they said, look, we've got all these see-through blouses. We can't sell them. We don't know what to do with them. You know, can, you can do whatever you like with them. Just take them away. So I took them away and I broidered things. I didn't actually do blue tits and great tits for that. I did other things, but whatever it was I did, um, they, I brought them back and I didn't know how to ask for, you know, for the money. And, uh, my cousin who was in the garment business and she said, well, what you have to do is you have to ask for double and then they bring you down to what you actually want. So I got a little overconfident and I came in and asked for triple and they went, great. Where's your triplicate no. order book? And my cousin literally fainted and she was pregnant at the time and actually a <laughs> client of my father's, her, her uncle. So I, I had to make sure she got water. I said, I'll be right back. I was 15. I ran around the corner to, I think, a Ryman's or something like that. I said, I need a triplicate order book. Okay, got it. Ran back, filled it out, had them fill it up, ran home. So excited. I couldn't believe it. I, I had orders to do all this and all the money, you know, I'd been given money, actual money. And, um, and so I had to get a, an accountant and my mother's accountant said, well, you need, um, a company right away, but they have these things called companies that are on the shelf. They're fully incorporated, but they're not being used. So I said, fine. And so I got a company off the shelf that happened to be called Bill Mill. So that was my first company. Amazing. I mean, that is just Orlando like that is one of the most iconic stores. I mean, I remember yes. I, I used to work for John Galliano and um, another designer called Alistair Blair and Richard James. La, la, la. And I remember it was like for a young designer to have their clothes sold in browns was the dream come true. Yeah. Do you have any of them still? Do you have any of those shirts still? I have some, but I don't have the one with the birds. I'm so yeah. angry. My daughter became obsessed with it when she was in high school, and I think she wore it to death, and that was the end of that. And, mm. you know, occasionally I, I – but I do have all the original clothes I used to make for myself. In those days, I remember there was the peasant skirt thing, which, of course, is mm -hmm. back now. Everything's back. And I was obsessed with the Liberty Lawn. So I would go to um, Liberty's when – when there were offcuts and things, and I would just buy some Liberty Lawn, Tana Lawn, and I would make these peasant skirts, and then I would wear these shirts with, um, with my embroidery on them. And I still have those. I've still got some of my embroidered shirts, but not the one, sadly, with the blue tit and the great tit. But I do have photographs of me in, in those shirts, yeah. I'm going to have to try and find that. I just love the idea, just the, the fact that you have blue tit and a, and a great tit over your tits. It's just perfect. <laughs> but then you, so when you, um, how did you, was it your agent who renamed you Jane Seymour? And was he aware that he was one, one of Henry VIII's wives? Or was that just... Well, my agent was the sort of um, the top agent in England. I was incredibly fortunate. His name was John Redway, and his nephew um, was working there temporarily. He was wanted to be a golf pro, but he ended up having to work for his uncle or something. And and uh, his name was Andrew. I remember that Andrew Waddo, I think. And um, he just said, "Well, you know, she doesn't want to be called Joyce, and we've got to have a name that's that's English." English sounding, easy to remember and easy to spell. So we kept the initial J. I said, okay, I'm, I'm happy with the name Jane, J, Jane, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, and he said Seymour. And we all went, wow, that actually sounds like a really cool name. Why do we know that name? And nobody remembered at that time that it was, <laughs> you know, the only wife of Henry VIII that no one ever remembered. You know, yeah. I would never have been called Catherine of Aragon or Anne Boleyn yeah. or, you know. Uh, but Jane Seymour was like, oh. And... Um, then I, I said, well, okay. So we gave it a try. It was obviously a stage name. So gave it a try. And immediately, Dino De Laurentiis asked to meet me for a lead in a movie based on the fact that I was so magnificent in his Anne of a Thousand Days. And I'm there trying to tell him, no, that's just my name. I wasn't in it. And I think Lynn Frederick or somebody who looked just like me at the time was yeah. in it. 
And so he got it all confused. But there were 20, 20 of them around him in this room. And every one of them was saying to me, doing like, don't contradict Dino. It's not going to go. <laughs> so I just went, oh, thank you. <laughs> and left it that. So it worked brilliantly. I mean, people either decided they'd seen my work, which they hadn't, or they'd mm. met me at a party, one or the other. And with with names, it's like when you have your first, well, when you have a child, you give birth to a child, you look at it and, and you want a name that fits. And to me, Jane Seymour fits you. Perfect. I mean, <laughs> Joyce, I'm writing about Joyce at the moment because Joyce, she's like the main protagonist in, in um, my next novel. And Joyce is a bit like, she's a bit like Margaret Rutherford, the character. So yeah. you and Joyce, they, they just don't go together at all. Jane, yes, but not Joyce. Well, the Joyce I was named after uh, never married and lived with her sister and uh, lived in the middle of nowhere in Wales. And she was a remarkable woman. She was sort of um, an extraordinarily brilliant obstetrician and gynecologist. Mm. But, um, you know, I... I just didn't see myself as a Joyce. No, no, definitely not. So, um, my love, when you, so you start, you, you, you had, how many roles did you have before the Bond role? What was the, the main role that you had before that? I was in Oh, It's a Lovely War. That's Richard right. Richard Attenborough. Attenborough. Yeah. I had one line and I was in the chorus with Maggie Smith. I so was. that was the first. I was 17 years old. Uh, then I came back and did another bit in Over to Lovely War, but with the blonde mm. wig, but you would never have recognized me. I think I did a whole bunch of things. I did uh, Here Come the Double Deckers, playing Alice in Wonderland, singing and dancing mm. in that. I've just started looking all these things up. I did Our Mutual Friend with uh, um, at the BBC, playing Bella. And I did The Strauss Family with Anne Stalibras, playing Joseph, uh, Joseph Strauss's wife. Mm -hmm. And then I did, from that I'd got the Aneedon line, in which I came and replaced another actress who'd played this character called Emma Callan. And then um, the deal was, my agent said to the producer, if you, you know, you can direct her the first episode, if you like her and you want her for the series, great. And if not, we understand. And I came in and after the first day or second day, he called my agent and said, she's on, we want her for the whole series. I loved the Aneedon line. How Do you remember how the... Um... The thing I love most about it was the theme tune. Da da dee, da da dee, da da dee, da 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 dee, da da dee, da da da. Something like that. And yes, and uh, the yes. only reason I remember I it is it. that in those days on television, it was sort of almost like a live broadcast. So before you went yeah. on, you heard it, and I used to get terribly, terribly nervous because it was like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, rehearsals are over, now we're doing the real thing. So but I um I played Emma Callan, who was um the the you know, the protagonist, I suppose. She inherited yeah. um the other the other shipping line and she was a virgin and I had uh, all these scenes with uh oh gosh, incredibly handsome guy. Oh gosh, my brain I hate forgotten him. Um anyway, I, I was then seen by Harry Saltzman and Cubby Broccoli, who were looking for a Bond girl. I didn't know anything about it. I wasn't available, you know. I, I, I wouldn't have gone up to be a Bond girl anyway. And um, my agent got a call from Cubby saying, um, I, we've just seen Jane in the Anedian line. We want to bring her in. And he said, well, she's not available. She's signed up to the BBC. And so he told me, my agent told me, and he said, look, that's, that's good news. Obviously, they really liked you, but, you know, you're not available. The following week, another episode comes out, and now he gets a call from Harry Saltzman. Nobody realized the two guys weren't talking to each other at the time. And oh, so course, Harry yeah. um, managed to persuade my agent to have me come in and meet him. So I came in to meet him, knowing that I wasn't available. And I had my hair, um, I'd always been told, because I had my hair sent apart long, and I sat on it, it was so long. And I was always told when I took my <laughs> hair off my face and put it up, you know, in a bun or something that I looked quite different. So I thought, oh, well, I'll just stuff my hair up in a hat. And then when I come in and take my coat off, I'll take my hat off and my hair will come tumbling down. So that's what I did. And I immediately got the role. Immediately. like Amazing. And then Harry took me across the street, said, I need you to come and meet my partner, Cubby. So I went across the street to Cubby's office and they proceeded to have a huge argument, a huge row, actually, about who had discovered me first. And I, like a schoolgirl, I said, excuse me, you both watched the television at the same time. At which point, <laughs> the secretaries took me by the arm and said, come and have a cup of tea. And I, <laughs> okay. And I, so I was, I was squirreled away. They had an all-out fight. They called my agent. 
Um, my agent then spoke to me on the phone and said, look, I know you don't really understand what's going on here, but um, just do me a favor, come over to the office. So the office was five minutes away. I had a little Volkswagen a Beetle. I got in it and I was in Mount Street, you know, posh part of London. Mm-hmm. And I backed it into, slowly but surely, into Harry Saltzman's Rolls Royce. Oh yeah, God, I did. Jane. I did. I didn't know what was going on. I And I turned out and uh, hopefully I said sorry. I then went to my agent and parked there in, in Soho. And he said, this calls for a gin and tonic. Well, you know, I was 20. I don't think I drank gin. Um but I did that night, that day. I mean, and and he said, "Look, I'm going to try and persuade the producer of the Anedin line that to let you out for a couple of weeks, so you could at least start the Bond film, come back, finish the Anedin line, and then go do the Bond film." Well, the producer was the one who had, of course, discovered me because he was the one, you know, who had decided I would either do that role once or the whole series. And his name was Peter Graham Scott. So my um, my uh, agent said, Peter. Because Peter said, no, I own her, you know, I own her. No, I'm not going to let her go, da, da, da. And um, then Peter's, um, the, the, my agent said to Peter, well, talk to your wife about it. So he talked to his wife, and his wife said, Peter, don't you understand? You will always be known as the person that discovered Jane Seymour. Because if she does a Bond film, she'll become much more famous. Smart so woman. the next day, that's what happened. Yeah. Smart woman. And going to the clothes. So Yeah, so we get to why we're here. Right? So let's get to the clothes. So when you were doing bot, I mean which because you've you've because you've done such a cross section of roles, you've done quite a lot of period roles, and then you've done Bond, and then you've done Playboy, which I mean I I salute you, my lady. I'm not naked for, though. For, for fuck's sake, sake, age sixty seven. <laughs> it doesn't matter that you you weren't naked, just the fact. The age 67, I just think that is one of the most magnificent achievements of any woman. <laughs> well, I, you know, I just thought that, you know, if it empowers somebody to realize that age is, is um, a number and it's, you know, I mean, I, I feel, honestly, I hang out with, with my kids who are in their 20s, mid-20s. I hang out with their friends. I hang out with my other kids who are in their mid-30s. And um, I just, you know, I, I've, I, maybe I feel younger inside. I don't look yeah. that, and I'm not trying to be 30 or anything, but I, I certainly haven't kind of um, packed it all in and said, oh, you know, I'm old and I'm going to give mm. up now. No, far from it. So mm. there you go. You've never stopped working. And I mean, with the, with the, did you enjoy the whole costume design process and, uh, oh, yes. for your roles? You Absolutely. Well, when I did the Bond film, the first day I showed up, you know, having been in those days, they would present you with this big book with all these beautiful paintings and drawings of the costumes you were going to wear. And, you know, what am I going to say? Like, other than wow. Um, they fitted me in triplicate for everything. They made shoes for me, which was completely ridiculous because I actually happen to have a foot that is the exact, you know, size and shape of every sample shoe made in the world. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Anyway, so all this kind of crazy stuff. And I got to work and on the first day and Harry Saltzman said, what the hell do you look like? And I went, uh, like you wanted me to look? <laughs> and he said, no, you looked so much better last night, you know, in, by the pool when we were all hanging out. You look, you know, you look terrible. And uh, he said, well, where's the clothes you, you had last night? So I only had things I made myself and or something very, very cheap. So I, I gave, took my suitcase out, showed them what I had. Um, and I basically ended up uh, reworking uh, some of the costumes. I, I sh- said, you know, I'm an ex-ballet dancer, so this kind of shape is good on me. And um, and uh, I helped create some of the costumes. I hope you got a credit no. in costume design. No, definitely <laughs> Who not. Who was no. that? Who I was can't remember now, designer? but she was incredibly yeah. famous, incredibly famous and mm. poor woman. I, I think she was... Very upset. I mean, of course, quite a few of her beautiful designs did mm. end up there. Um, I would say I was in, involved very much so with the white dress that I wear most of the time, which is like a ballet dress, mm. if you think about it. Mm. And, um, you know, the the white jeans and the, and the orange shirt that I wear running around all over the place, those were absolute copies of what I had in my suitcase. So, mm. <laughs> But because of that, I have to this day, every movie I've ever been on, or every stage play I've ever been in, I have brought all my own clothes with me for the character, just in case, including wigs, uh, props. Yes, yes, because 
I realized that that I couldn't necessarily, you know, I just didn't like the feeling of being on set and somebody saying, oh, you know, what the hell do you look like? This doesn't work. Um, I just thought, well, rather than have that in the back of my mind, if I bring what I think would be good that I happen to have or I can afford to go out and buy, um, I have that as backup. Now, if they have much better, fantastic. But even mm. even wedding crashes, they could not find um, a couple of the outfits that they needed. They just didn't exist. They, you know, when they say like we want a pastel beaded gown for the wedding scene, which was a very important scene, there were none because that wasn't the style that was in at the time. But I happened to have mm. um, a pastel, beautiful beaded, you know, lavender escada that I'd been given years and years earlier for a premiere, and they'd allowed me to keep. So I. You know, I had it. So things like that. Um, even East of Eden, I used to collect um, Victorian clothes. So I had an amazing okay. Victorian black gown that I wore in that. Um, and I have closets full of pretty much almost every costume I ever wore. It used to be in my contract that I could keep the costume. So um, I re have recycled things up the wazoo. I've worked with some of the greatest designers with Karl Lagerfeld you know, himself at the house of Chanel, he made all my costumes for uh, the Sun Also Rises and I have all the originals and I've never forgotten being there. And Inez de la Frisange, who was the, the muse is like six foot, mm. God knows what, and I'm a little five foot four person. And she's yeah. there being dressed for the show that's that night. And I'm being dressed for the Sun Also Rises. <laughs> and, and, and Carl looks at the sort of the jewelry that's going to go in the show and picks it up and says, for you and put it on me. So I had even got some <laughs> Chanel jewelry out of it. But uh, some of the greatest designs, Nolan Miller, oh my God, that man was a genius. And um, mm. uh, and the Emanuels, David Elizabeth Emanuel, who uh, dressed me the first really beautiful, the first premiere I ever went to, I was presented, I think, to the Queen, was the Queen, for um, the Four Feathers movie I did. And mm -hmm, I remember that. And well. uh, somehow or other, somebody... Um, a, a journalist, a close journalist, had said, I think she was the same one who'd done the whole thing about me and the embroideries. She said, oh, there are these new designers. They've just graduated um, from college and, and they just did their first show and there's a dress there that you should be wearing for this. So um, she contacted them and they let me borrow this beautiful, beautiful off-the-shoulders white dress and I wore mm. it. And, um, and our, the joke in our family was that the queen liked the dress and so did uh, and turned to Prince Charles and said, you know, we found the frock, <laughs> now found the girl. Yeah, <laughs> and so <laughs> after that, I became very close friends and sort of a secret muse of um, the Emanuels. And mm. um, and I have in my closet um, the re replicas, I mean, the other dress that Diana would have had, I had the other one of a lot of the, her dresses. Amazing. So I've Amazing. never parted with them. Whenever I see David Emanuel, I, I, and I show him, I said, you know what, I've got your closet up here. So if you ever need anything, it's right here. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So do you, I mean, how do you rate, because, you know, you've, you've, you've um, been a small, petite muse for Karl Lagerfeld and then worked with British designers. Do you, how, do you, how do you find the difference? What do you see the difference between the, the Brits and the, the French? Well, I mean, the Karl Lagerfeld was specific for a role. I was yeah. you know, doing 1920s, you know, flapper. Okay. Um, were you drawn to the British designers more than French as such, or we, did you not really have an allegiance? 
I mean, obviously, I, I loved the British designers that I've met. I mean, you know, David and Elizabeth Emmanuel, especially David. I mean, he, whenever I had anything important, he would always make it. My wedding dress mm. to James Keach, he created that and gave it to me, by the way. And the same thing happened when I got the OBE. He created that beautiful white suit with the little, oh my gosh, amazing. Mm. And then there's another beautiful pink dress I have that David did. So um, David and I, you know, he would make the most beautiful, beautiful dresses for me. And then, you know, believe it or not, um, the Scottish designer from Escada, Escada wanted to dress me and I wasn't really, you know, it was very, it wasn't really my style. But they said, you know, we want you to wear our clothes. So, you know, show us what you want. So I would draw up what I wanted to wear for, you know, if I was award, uh, had an awards or I was being nominated or, you know, some major occasion. And um, I would send them some drawings of what I wanted. And then they'd send back, you know, proper drawings. And then I'd say, oh, I like that one. And then the next thing I know, I'd be wearing it. It would be, you know, an amazing experience, the most beautiful gowns ever. And then I'd go to the next Escada fashion show and all the other designs that I'd said were <laughs> no. being, you know, were going up and down the aisle. And I'd say to Brian, do I maybe <laughs> recognize some of these? And he'd go, well, maybe. <laughs> we worked together, but there was no mm. business involved. You know, it's just for fun. But I think you've missed an opportunity here. I mean, the, I am so astonished to hear your involvement in the costumes for your roles, the fact that you helped design for Escada and then they appeared on the, on the runway, making your own clothes. Yes. I mean, are, are you a frustrated fashion designer, do you think? Maybe. I mean, I did actually design costumes and, um, and uh, sets for um, uh, Ben Stevenson for the Houston Ballet, for a ballet. And that, and that was a heady experience. You know, the curtains open. I'm sitting next to Dame Margot Fontaine and there are my sets and my costumes and people dancing. And I just went, oh my God, that's pretty exciting. Um, and I did design. I, desi I had my own line here called Crossing Point. Um, I designed for many, many years um, and it was a very affordable line. So I don't think it was the right, the right avenue, but um, I actually designed fabrics. Um, gosh, uh, you, can you find my my shawls or something? I ask Sherry. But um, no, I've designed fabrics. I've designed uh, dresses. I had a whole collection for many years. Um, I used to do something with uh, oh CC in England. Yeah, yeah country casuals. CC, yeah, uh, I was I was the face of CC for quite a while. Yeah. I did something before that with a very famous um, English designer. She had kind of crazy hair. I remember. Um, Although I don't think she had much to do with it. Her name was on it. But I was the one that went into, in, you know, went to the uh, manufacturers and uh, started, mm. started, you know, messing with the design. So, yes. Mm. No, I, I, am, I am a frustrated designer. Mm. I'm, well, you're not frustrated by the sounds of it. Well, I've yeah, actually so just, I just designed a whole bunch of scarves, which I just asked my son to see if he could oh, go find yes. it. Because I didn't know this was going to be such a big, a big interview. Yeah. But um, I'm about to launch uh, something new, which are these beautiful scarves made from my actual paintings. So, and I'm yeah, a painter. You are. Oh, I'm a painter. Because you were on that program, weren't you? Oh, yeah, I was terrible was on that program. I was dreadful. They, you know, they ask you, what do you like to paint? And then make sure that you do not paint that. So yeah. I never mentioned chickens flying around or buildings in, you know, in, in London. And I, oh, and I did a self-portrait on, on the day, the moment before that I found out that my house was about to burn down and my oh art my gallery. God. And they said, yeah. well, that won't be in the show, so you've just got to suck it up. And, and I, But if you I want have, to look at the portrait, you can see the tears are sort of coming up my eyeballs. <laughs> have you, um, so have you exhibited your work? Yes, many, many times. I, in America, I, I used to do about 12 to 14 one-woman shows a year. Um, I have sculptures in about six different cities. Um, I've um, just recently, because of um, what was happening with... Um, um, the pandemic, um, I was trying to do something um, with my Open Hearts Foundation. And so I've been painting with um, old people stuck in old people's homes. And in fact, with one lady who had ALS who was dying, she was in hospice. And I managed to get, a, a, get her husband to get her these um, pen brushes and she was able to move 
and she made 40 mm. paintings before she died. So mm. I've been doing that. And then I was um, in Australia filming and I was in quarantine and I was stuck in these, you know, tiny little hotel room and couldn't see anyone, couldn't do anything. So I had my paints with me. I always have my paints with me. And so I started mm. painting and, and sticking these things up on my wall. And, and then I um, auctioned all of it off and we raised $75,000 for COVID charities for women and children with my art. That was just recently. But um, yeah. And I, I love doing, I love teaching people who believe they can't paint. And I've mm. just done a, a pilot. It's going out right now to see if they, anyone wants to do a show with me. But um, mm. I did a, a, a pilot of just sizzlery. It went out yesterday. So cross our fingers. Your fingers crossed. Of, of, of me uh, painting with celebrities. Because I think you get great Fair conversations out of people while you're painting. And it shows people how they can paint. But that's a great idea to paint with with um, well known people. Yes, well, I I did a, the sort of pilot program with um, uh, actually Denise Richards, but that's you know just for selling the program. And uh, oh, I, I've got my my. Do you want to see some of my um, scarves? No one's seen them. Yes, yet. yes, I do. Okay, uh, I'm going to go around the back here so you can see. So. This is the open heart, for which I'm known. And uh, these work either as scarves. They're um, Modell and Cashmere. Mm-hmm. Oh. Or they can, because they're so fine, they can scrunch up. You can actually literally make them into a, a nice woolly scarf. Well, not woolly. Or they can be, um, um, you know, cover up for a beach or something. Whatever you want. So we, you know, we also have them to go, like... Uh, like a little sarong. Foray, I think. So that's that's one. And it says on that, it says, if your heart is open, love will find its way in. So those, those are images they do. This is um, single open hearts. It's on silk. And again, it says, uh, um, if, your, uh, if your heart is open, love will find its way in. So this is silk with many different colors. I, I'm a scarpaholic, so, you know, that's why I'm showing you here. So these are poppies and butterflies. Wonderful. And this one is absolutely gorgeous, especially, you know, in the summer. But, um, and I, I thought, you know, like you go to a wedding or something, you don't like your arms, you put this yeah. over, you put this over and, and you're not sure about patterns or fabrics, you know, you, you've got something fun to wear. What I, what I love about them is their size. You've, they're generous, they're big. There's nothing worse than a mean, a mean scarf. And then this is really fun. This is a little cover-up you put on either for a beach thing mm-hmm. or, um, so or it's got little buttons on. You can just turn it into a scarf. So gorgeous. And then last but because not least, um, I have this whole philosophy about waves. So this was from my wave paintings. Love that. And this is just gorgeous, you can imagine. Love those colors. This, this obviously I could wear with what I'm wearing right now. Yeah. Or I can wear it on the beach as a cover-up. Or I can just, you know, it's got every color of blue in it, so it'll go with anything. Yeah, anyway, yeah. that's that's um, that's my current uh, current craziness. But, I, you know, talking about clothing and stuff, you know, I travel a lot. And, mm. uh, oh, oh well, the wave here. This is my wave jewelry. So I also design jewelry, and um, I've I had, the, I think it was the, the biggest collection most successful collection of um, jewelry by a, um, I don't know. Personality. But I think it was the most successful collection. I think they sold a billion dollars worth of this in America, um, open hearts. They had them also at um, H. Samuels, but they didn't promote them properly there. And it was also in Canada as well. But for 10 years, um, this was a huge brand. And I'm just uh, coming out with it again. Um, at another venue. So let me hold the necklace up. Hold the necklace, the pendant. Let me see. It's, it's so it's too. It, okay, I'll put it against the skin. So it's, yeah, uh, this is uh, uh, the open heart wave. I call it. So it's two hearts that are open that connect that make the open heart sign. And I do a whole thing about the wave. You know, this this is open heart here. It's mm. a huge one. Can't really see it. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, if you look if you look at janeseymour.com, you can see all about that. But this yeah. is, is, uh, this is a philosophy that I really got from my mother who, as you know, survived, uh, world war two. And she said, darling in life, everyone has challenges. And when you do, your natural instinct is to 
um, just hide away, not let anyone know. And it's very British to do that, as we mm. know, too. Um, she said, but if you can accept what's happened, however difficult, and open your hearts, heart and reach out to help someone else, there's always someone worse off than you. And by doing that, she said, it will heal you and allow you to move forward in life. So mm. it's, um, you know, when you were talking earlier about, you know, beliefs and, and you know, pol- politics, whatever. Mm. I, I mean, my mission in life is to try and, and help people with the wisdom that my mother gave me of how to, how to deal with, uh, with challenge in life because we all have mm. it. And it's one of the things no one ever teaches you, do they? Mm. And to help other people. So the, the Open Hearts Foundation I've been running now for almost 11 years. Tell me what it does exactly. Tell the listeners what it does. So instead of um, reinventing the wheel and creating one charity for one thing, uh, I was always being asked to you know help with this charity, help with that charity. And there were always the very big ones. And the very big ones were almost run like corporations. Mm-hmm. And I felt that there were a lot of amazing, extraordinary things happening in in sort of smaller charities where a very small amount of money would go enormously long way and where the charities were uh, created by people who'd been through something uh, incredibly challenging and had felt that there was a need, a specific need. So with, say somebody who'd been um, raped or abused, I mean, they, they would be involved with, they put together um, safe homes for, for families mm-hmm. to come to, for battered women, um, uh, foster girls who are just suddenly put out, you know, in the world and they have no one to ask what they do and they have teenage pregnancies and they don't know how to, never got a proper education, they don't have anyone to mentor them, they don't have anyone to help them. So really what we do is we have, we pick, this year with COVID, we pick 20 different smaller uh, extraordinary charities, which you can look them up, mostly women and children. We felt that was the best investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we um, raise money, but we also raise awareness to what those um, organizations are and the difference that that money is made and what they're actually doing with it. And then my daughter Katie came up with something which I'm really excited about called Young Hearts. It's sort of a younger division of it. And we're creating an app, which uh, we're just in the final tests of, where we will connect organizations that want volunteers with volunteers that want to volunteer. Like has, no, has no one done that before? Has that not been done? No, no. There, wow. there are, there are organ- places like, in America at least, there's a thing called um, Volunteers of America or something like that, where you can go on the site and see a million different organizations that want um, volunteers, but nobody's done it where you match yourself. So you don't have to look at 10 million apps or, or 10 million organizations. You have it already um, vetted for you and you have already been vetted too because it, you say who you are, mm. you know, what, what your interests are. So maybe you only like animals. You don't like human mm. beings. Fine. Great. Or maybe you have children and you want to do something with your children. So mm. is it kid friendly? You know, um, do you want to do it from home or do you actually physically want to show up? Do you want to do it once a week, once a month or, you know, whatever it is. And so it matches at the algorithms match. That is such a brilliant idea. Thank and you. Well, it was her really, idea. And yeah, uh, the Open Hearts Foundation is, has been raising money and awareness for it. We're now hoping to get um, major corporate people behind us, mm. you know, in that too. Because I think in, you know, we started talking in the beginning about what's going on in the world right now. I think there's a lot of people that want, that feel that everything is too much and mm. they, they quit. And there's a lot of people who are going, no, wait a minute, it's got to be something I can do. And mm. we're just encouraging people to heal themselves by helping heal others. Mm. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. So we have to get back to close briefly, but, but before we do, I want to say you are so much more than the woman <laughs> I anticipated meeting. And it's almost like acting for you as a sideline with everything else you've been doing, with your charity work, with your creative side. It's extraordinary. Have you have you ever written anything? Yes, I, I think I've had oh my published God, about 14 so weeks. I'm very annoying, yes. I have. Yeah. If you go on janeseymour.com, you can see them. And if anyone wants to buy them, I sign them and dedicate them. But I've done a design book called Making Yourself at Home, which mm-hmm. um, demystifies the whole idea of interior design. 
Uh, I've I've uh, bought and designed and sold countless houses, so ten or twelve houses. I have a, a clothing, I mean a, um, a furniture company that I've been working with for the last ten years with my designs called uh, Michael Amini and Jane Seymour Collaboration. So mm-hmm. you can look that up. I think it actually sells in England now. It sells all over the world. Um, okay, have you ever written fiction? I'm trying to find something that you no fiction. Have no, I have not. Uh, oh well, I had children's books, oh. fiction. Yes, oh uh, this God. one and that one. And uh, the illustrations were done by my uh, second husband, ex-husband, mm. Jeffrey Plano, Nigel Plano's older brother. And they're yeah. brilliant. And they're about this one and that one, who based on my twins, who are now 25. Um, we, people used to say, well, this one's bigger than that one, and that one's naughtier than this one. So we created them as cats. One was a gray mm. cat, one was a little orangey cat. And uh, they lived in California in Malibu, California, <laughs> and uh, this one and that one. And we had Boeing about jumping on the bed, uh, Yum about uh, food. Um, I can't remember what they all were, but there's, there's five of them in that series. And then there was a whole lot of plush for that, and then there were clothes that went with it. I, was, um, I had a major design business with all the Saks Incorporated stores in America. So that was, I can't remember, 25, 35 stores I had... Um, I did a home line of, um, I think it was two or three collections. One was based on my home in England, St. Catherine's Court. So it was very sort of Elizabethan, old English. Uh, We took carving samples and turned them into plates and things like that. Then I did, um, uh, and then bedding, of course. And then I did one based on California. Um, And then I did one based on um, uh, Mackinac Island, where I did the movie Somewhere in Time. And then uh, right now I have um, moldings that are with photo. I have um, you know moldings for paintings that I design. Um, Is there anything that you haven't done yet that you want to do? I can think of things I don't want to do. No, I want I want you to I want you to, that you want to do. <laughs> um, well, I'm doing a lot of acting still. I think I'd like to direct one day. I think it would be interesting okay. because I've I've sort of kind of been involved with the direction without ever having credit for it. But I think I I would really be interested in trying that one day. I also, you know, I'm, I'm very involved with kind of healthy living, but, you know, who needs another cookbook? But mm. it, 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 is, it is something that I think is important in life. And um, yeah, I'm a little I, busy at the moment doing what I'm doing. I, I do yeah, need exactly. to write an autobiography, and I am actually working on it. Um, as we speak, I've got a huge mess just off camera here of mm. every photograph taken of my ancestors and myself since the beginning of time. And Fantastic. Uh, it, it's pretty wild. So, um, Jane, when you when you travel, and I think I'm, I know the answer to this, when you travel, um, do you have a comfort blanket? Is there something that you take with you that, that keeps you? This. This oh, is beautiful. Look at the, is the most That's like your eyes because you've got one one brown eye and one green eye. Is that right? That's right. right. Yeah. So this yeah, is yeah. beautiful. So this is like hits. This is all hand embroidered. I got it in Dubai a long time ago, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is way too expensive. Um, but because it, it's you know it's a one of a kind okay, extraordinary okay. piece. But I love it. It goes with everything I have, and this is it. This is if I ran out of the house and I. And this is this is this is me. This is an important piece for me. How long have you had it? Gosh, that's a very good question. Maybe fifteen years. Okay. Or, but you know, it would always be a scarf of some sort. That's why I'm creating all these scarves because mm. you know I'm a scarfaholic. Okay, yeah. I I need to go to scarfaholic anonymous. Anonymous. What about, um, what's your worst wardrobe malfunction, Jane Seymour? Well, uh, the famous one, of course, was um, when I won uh, a Golden Globe for Best Actress for playing in, um, oh, so not Dr. Quinn. No, was it? no, it wasn't for Dr. Quinn, East of Eden. Okay. And, um, and I went up on stage and, and it was just after... You know, minutes after I'd had the, my, my baby, Katie, and I'd been breastfeeding, and I went up, and uh, all of a sudden, my milk came in. So, 
the, the pads were soaking. You know, I think I was wearing black, so it didn't actually shine through. But yes. Okay. Yeah. I and I on on television live, I mentioned. I said, "Oh, and I want to thank my baby because." My milk just came in. So that is why the Golden Globes have never been live, because of me. Really? Yes. It has never been live since. There's always been a delay, just in case someone embarrassing like Jane Seymour has a wardrobe malfunction. Oh, my yeah. goodness. And then, my darling, what about your birthday suit? What, is there an outfit that you'd like yeah. to be remembered for? Oh, look, she's got it. She's so oh, organized. Of course. I'm terribly organized. So... This is the, oh. uh, it's bugle. Is that Courage? Is it no, Courage? No, it's actually, it was, this was made, this was made for me as a costume for a Daniel Steele um, uh, movie called Crossings. And I wear it in the movie, but I've worn it on red carpets. I've worn it um, so many times. It's. You know, it's kind of a bit of a joke. It's a bit of a joke. I wear this thing all the time. I love it. I wish it I could get it remade. So Nolan Miller. Nolan Miller. It's, it's quite heavy. It's, it's so just to describe it, it's got it's silver bugle beads, and then it's kind of got an organza crossing over the front. It's like well, no, it's silver bugle beads. So it's sort of like a halter with a bag. Yeah. It's got this wonderful panel. You know, everything's like in. It's all cut on the diagonal, like yeah. That. And then it right. has the most beautiful silk. Oh, satin. Uh, silk satin. And it's split all the way up to the thigh. Here's the split. It is all the way, all the way up. And it's, it's even got, like, you know, the weights in it. You know how they used to do in the old days? Yeah. Which is what the queen does. She has all her hems weighted so that yes. the skirt doesn't blow up. Do a Marilyn yeah. Monroe. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, so that, that's, it, it's hard for me to choose because I have lots of fa mm. fabulous dresses. But that one I think I've worn it's more than beautiful. any. beautiful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Well, my darling, you have got to go and run your empire. Um, <laughs> um, I'm blown away. I think you are such an inspiration, really. And um, it's been hugely surprising and hugely wonderful and a real privilege to talk to you. So thank you well, so much. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that enormously. All right, my darling, you take care. Thank you so much, Jane. My goodness so today i am with my two major crushes who i love you boys so much it's duo the fabulous double guitar sensations and um you've been doing this amazing thing which is gig in your garden tell me how you came up with the idea so obviously the whole country went into a major lockdown um, ben and I started doing these live streams every week, mainly as a way to sort of keep busy, wasn't it? Yeah, it keeps busy, keeps people happy. And um, um, and anyway, so one of my one of my close friends, Joanna, she got very very poorly with COVID, um, and she was doing a lot of work with um, the homeless charities, and yeah. we, we were doing the live streams. And me and Ben had an idea, and we thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could go and cheer Joanna up and do a gig or something? We could do the live stream from her garden. Um, as a way of sort of saying thanks and, you know, hope you're feeling better. And then this progressed into Gig in Your Garden, as it's known today. I mean, what a brilliant way to honour key and frontline workers and cheer us all up in the process. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. We had a lot of experience, played obviously for a lot of people. And um, yeah, it was great. I remember some good time we played for, um, you know, some junior doctor's wedding. Yeah, they have their, they have uh, their first dance. dance. just really happy. Generally speaking, everybody's really happy to have some music during COVID. So. so were you going to hospitals as well as um, people's houses? This was just going to people's gardens. But one of the people we did visit was a wonderful chap called Eamon, who was the chief nurse at Nightingale Hospital. And we played for his family. And also another gig we did, which was great, we went to a care home down in Southampton. Um, quite an odd setting because there was nobody outside or anything. But they all they watched had... from the balconies and yes. they came out. And yeah, it was, it was really nice. Yeah, I think it's just such a touching thing to have done and the fact that it sprang from a friend of yours who was really poorly 
And so when you couldn't get into people's gardens, you've continued these gigs online every Friday night since March. Is that right? Since last March. Yeah. <laughs> We're coming up to a year now. So Yeah. I think this will, be four, this will be gig 47. And that uh, is, leads me on to, we've got a really big, um, we've got a good one coming up this Friday. And we're going to play yeah. the entire CD through all 18 tracks on this Friday. Oh, my goodness. Are we allowed to know any of the songs that you've got on the album? We have some really recent tracks uh, like Dance Monkey, Bad Guy by Billie Eilish, Despacito. We've got some a bit older tracks, a bit of Rolling Stones, a bit of Adele. And, um, and we've got Adele, some... Adele, okay, that's Adele for anyone who doesn't understand what the fuck Ben's talking about. Adele, <laughs> Adele. We've got a really good mix of things, basically. We've got, yeah, we've got some recent pop songs, we've got some old pop songs, um, things like We'll Meet Again, etc. Oh, I'm so excited! It's gonna. I'm gonna buy it, and I'm gonna be playing it. It's gonna be on my run, my run playlist. Um, and I'll just be thinking of you boys. So the new album comes out on the fifth of February, and it's called Surprise, Surprise, Gig in Your Garden. But I mean, you are incredible, you two, because you started out busking, didn't you? I mean, you're both classically trained musicians, and you both went to the Royal. College of Music. Beg your pardon. Beg your pardon. Um, and then you would just you'd have like crowds, hundreds and hundreds of people gathering around you. It was pretty cool, wasn't it? Yeah, that was that's that was our bread and butter for mm. Yeah, we ages, just loved it? it, you know, when you I saw you begin to play music and everybody stops and everybody smile, people sing, people dance. Just people are just generally happy. I mean, it's just a great feeling when you just play music and people are so responsive. And good practice for when you play at Wembley. I mean, how exactly. are you going to be able to accommodate just two musical instruments when you're playing in a huge venue, which you're going to because Don't you're going worry. to be massive, be massive no successful. I'll be, I'll be singing by that time as well. Will you? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And Beth. Ben, Beth. Yeah. And we'll sing. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> and you, do you ever write any of your own songs? Well... So we've actually just been a little bit busy in the last since the start of the year. We've actually been writing all our own tracks. We're trying to push out two a week at the moment. But this is our late. This is our next venture and project is that we want to do a CD of all our own stuff. So yeah, that's what that's what's coming. That is really exciting. And is that kind of classically biased, or is it more more contemporary? I'd say. I mean, I'd say it's 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 a, it's again it's like a flamenco fusion, but it's going to oh, be. God, I... Mm. It's going to be really relaxing. It's going to be really. It's, 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 going to be, it's going to be what we really want. It's going to be great. It's going yeah, to be it's cool. really often has a lot of Spanish color because obviously it's played on guitar, uh, but it's really yeah. mainstream. I'm so excited for this because for me, there is nothing better than the sound of an acoustic guitar. It's my favorite instrument, even more than the piano. Sorry, Elton, but even more than the piano. Um, and you are truly gifted. These boys, by the way, they came. They very sweetly came for my daughter's 18th birthday and played. And I thought all the kids would be like rolling their eyes and going, oh, Christ, you know, old people's music. But they loved it. Of all, the, Probably 90% of every single thank you letter we got, you guys were highlighted. And that's from 18-year-olds. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, that's so I'm glad not, to know that it appeals to the masses. Yeah, no, really and truly, you're brilliant. So you're going to play us a little track, aren't you? Yeah, well, yeah. We, we are thinking of playing a bit of Dance Monkey for you. Okay. A one, a two, a one, two, three. Thank you. 
amazing to, I mean, sadly, people won't be able to watch you play, but it's just how, for both of you, your guitars are part of your, they're part of you, they're an extension of you, and you really see that when you're playing. Maybe we spend way too much time with our guitars. It's been, it's been a long, been a long <laughs> oh, yeah. time. Yeah, you're slapping them a bit like a woman's ass halfway through. <laughs> well, you, you really are, you're superstars, and I wish you so much luck with... Um, Thank you very um, much. ...gig in your garden, and, um, and I understand that proceeds will be um, going towards supporting the Florence Nightingale Foundation, which is just fabulous so it's all the perfect package so please anyone who's listening you need to get this it's going to cheer you up and you will be doing fabulously by supporting a really amazing and vital organization so it's out on the 5th of february gig in your garden by duo get it Thanks to Will and Ben. Remember, you can find Gig in Your Garden on our show notes or by going to their website, duoguitarmusic.com or at Duo Guitar Music on their socials. Right, before we go, you can find us on our website, mywardmel.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at mywardmel. And we'd hugely appreciate it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review us on your chosen podcast platform. And that's it. Thanks again to Jane, to Duo, and of course to you for listening. Catch up soon. Until then, my wardrobe is officially closed. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.